Hey there, boys and girls. Just uh, before we start today, a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, the, the We had a lot of technical problems with this episode, and instead of scrapping it, we are releasing it anyway, so I hope that you can bear with us this time, and um, sorry about that. Uh, I think it was just some bad luck. So um, you've been warned, and here we go. Welcome to <laughs> to the Vegas Gang podcast for February third, two thousand eleven. I'm just, you know, it's a new year. I'm testing out some new intros. I've, I've been sitting here for like forty five minutes, just kind of trying to find something good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I didn't um, realize there was a third buffer brother. <laughs> hey man, or gotta, or, si- or six empty cans of four loco. I gotta mix it up now that now that um, you know Tim and Michelle are out of the running for uh, for best podcast. I really feel like I gotta step up my game because I could I could coast before because I always knew we were gonna lose, but now now we've got a shot at least. So I gotta you know gotta add a little extra oomph. Um, all right, so let me go around the table and introduce the guys. We got Mr. Jeff Simpson, the author of the uh, fantastical, fantabulous, wonderful Simpson on Vegas column on Two Way Hard Three. Hey, Jeff, you got a new one that just went up yesterday. We'll talk a little bit about that. How are you? Doing great. Thanks. Um, Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com. Um, what's happening, Chuck? Not much. I'm happy to be here with you guys. So happy to be here with you. Uh, Dr. Dave Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hey there. Uh, my name's Hunter Hilligus. You can find me at ratevegas.com. Um, a quick little announcement for, uh, for those of you that are regular listeners. Next week, keep your ears open. We're going to do a special episode of the Vegas Gang, an interview with uh, a prominent uh, architect and one of the um, major major uh <clears throat> design firms that works uh on several well-known strip buildings i think uh, it'll be pretty interesting he's a he's a nice guy should be a good interview so um next week look for that it should be fun um all right let's get right into it i, I want to start with talking about the hard rock because there's there it's it's confusing what's going on at the hard rock um there's these issues with the foreclosure but before we talk about that I want to talk, Jeff, about your column, which you also wrote about the hard rock on, on you know, not the same foreclosure topic, but uh, this topic of some fines that were levied against them for some uh, questionable behavior that um, that took place, I think, in the nightclub and maybe in other parts of the casino. I can't remember. So, Jeff, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about what you wrote? Well, the column this time um, uses the Hard Rock's uh, fine for some um, regulatory violations, mainly involving casino employees, uh, security people, and hosts selling drugs, uh, selling access to private bathrooms and nightclubs so that people could have sex and or, uh, you know, take drugs. The drugs we're talking about, um, ecstasy, uh, cocaine, and uh and pot, and uh, you know, I the 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 focus of the column is to look sort of at 
the penalties that the control board assessed, whether, you know, their priorities are, uh, are in line with what I think they should be. And then to talk a little bit about the control board priorities uh, in, in a nutshell, um, I think that, and, and the reason for that is I, I keep reading, you know, wading into the minefield of the uh, newspaper comment sections after stories are written about these kind of uh, regulatory actions and they fine a property for nightclub stuff. It happened when Planet Hollywood was fined a, a couple of years ago and, uh, and now with the Hard Rock. And there's significant criticism of what the control board's doing. Um, some people think the control board's, uh, you know, being too harsh. Some people think they're not cracking down enough. And, um, and um, you know, Mama Bear thinks the uh, thinks it's just right. Um, so, so you know, in general, I think that they've been pretty fair. But I think that there is a worry that maybe they're picking on. Um, the smaller independent operators, um, no one's been, no, they have yet to target, or as far as I can tell, they come down with any disciplinary action against any of the big four operators. So it'll be interesting to see if the control board ever does uh, crack down on one of those players. And uh, I, you know, I said that I think the, the control board, while it's good for them to do this, I think that their main focus needs to be on keeping the uh, gaming floor um, fair to make sure all the games are square uh, to do. And and I think, you know, they've sort of slide some of that um, responsibility. They've been pushing it on to operators saying it's up to you to keep things correct. And I think they've been, you know, they suffer, they're suffering from some manpower, um, decline and that they're not doing as many on-site inspections. They do have people ready to respond to calls to go to sites, but um, they don't go out and you know check the 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 multi-deck shoes to make sure all the cards are in there. They're not doing dice checks as much as they used to. I think they need to probably step that kind of activity up, um, and they also need to step up their oversight of casino and you know company financials and uh monopoly concerns so it you know that's what i wrote about in the column in terms of hard rock you know what they did i mean it's just you know it's inexcusable to have your security force selling drugs now giving them away that's another thing no i mean, ser- <laughs> I mean ser- seriously they couldn't be they shouldn't be selling them and uh and obviously they shouldn't be uh you know um Using their casino bathrooms um, as a as a, or their club bathrooms as a place for drug usage. Hey Jeff, let me let me call you right back because you've got kind of a funky connection, and so I'd rather Uh-oh. deal with it right now. I'm gonna call you right back. All right. Yeah, I think it's worth it. I don't know if you guys could hear it, but it sounded pretty funky. It, it sounded weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little distorted. So we will yeah. fix that uh, if he hadn't have gone offline. Oh uh, no! Now he's back. Ooh. Where is he? Where is he? Oh, there he is. Let's see. Oh, call. Oh, cool. I'm still getting used to the Skype Five. It's all different, anyway. Jeff, you're back. I am back. Okay, you sound yeah. be- you sound better. Okay, good. Great. <clears throat> all right. So um, I appreciate you running that down. Um, I think uh, you know. I think you did a good job of summarizing it. Now, I think your article, your column, was interesting because you you basically. 
um, identified, you know, a couple of different categories that people are in in terms of like how they feel about uh, what the control board is doing as far as if they're doing enough. And I'm curious to hear from um, Chuck and Dave what what you guys think. Maybe you know, Dave, I'll I'll start with you. Um, how, how do you feel as far as the way that the control board is reacting? Do you think that they are on the right tack? Do you think they need, need to do more? I think they're basically reacting in the way that they've traditionally done, which is try to protect the reputation of the industry. And I think they're afraid that if they don't jump in, there's going to be some huge scandal that's going to really hurt the industry. And if you look back historically, that's why they're there. Basically, they're a very overworked understaffed agency that's facing the cuts that every state agency is. So I'm amazed that they can get any, any due diligence or any work done, you know, with the kind of cuts they've had and being so overburdened these days. So I think they're doing a pretty good job. A good job given what they have to work with or a good job in a perfect world. I mean, good job given what they have to work with, you know, obviously one of the big areas that they're doing is investigations and licensure and that. But then you've got a lot of operational stuff that the enforcement division is tasked with. And they, you know, they're stretched pretty thin. There's a lot of casinos in, in, uh, in Las Vegas and there's a lot going on. So I think they do a pretty good job of responding to complaints as they come in and investigating some of these things. Now, my understanding is that the, the New Jersey model is a little bit different in as that they actually staff each casino with, uh, casino Control Commission employees to do some of this stuff. Is that correct? Not for long. <laughs> yeah, actually, they're going. There, 105 of them are getting fired. Okay. But so, but basically, what that model was, you had somebody at the Casino Control Commission podium, across from the security podium, usually there, 24 hours a day, to respond to patron complaints. Also, anytime anybody had to, wanted to go into the count room, they had to get a person. There's two keys. The person from the commission has one, almost like it's a nuclear football kind of thing. You know, doing slot drops, going doing your slot drops, you need the person with the commission there with the key and the casino key to do all those. So pretty much it just had another pair of eyes looking at everything. Right. So that's what that did, which might be a little bit inefficient, you know, especially with surveillance being what it is. If you already have it mandated that they have to record the slot drops to the extent that anyone's doing slot drops these days. Well, let's say table drops. You know, if you're going to say you've got to record this, surveillance has to record this, then you've got it all on tape anyway or on digital, and the control board could impound it and look at it. So it's just as good as having somebody there on the ground looking at it. They can still see everything that's going on. So, you know, so there's that. So – um, interesting. Um, so, so Chuck, um, let me ask you this first. Is that bathroom as nice as they say on the inside? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. It's, it's a little greasy, you know, it's, it's good. You have to get in there within the first hour, hour and a half. <laughs> Otherwise it starts to get a little swampy, you know, and God forbid you drop anything, you know, that's just dangerous. But seriously, you know, uh, in a perfect world, from a customer standpoint, I would really love to see like a lot of transparency here. If should the gaming regulators find that uh, XYZ Casino was missing six shoot six cards out of their deck, or they had some faulty dice, or you know the count wasn't right or here. I'd love to see, even if they started with giving a casino like a food grade, you know, right. like they do in the restaurants, like a C, you know, or a D or a B, 
you know, it, 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 down to the point of where they, when every time they found an infraction, they posted it on the internet, mm-hmm. you know, so people could see, you know, who is constantly skimming cards and let public, you know, the public know and let the public be the, uh, the meter of justice, you know, and, and let the public have the, uh, almost the authority to, to vote with their dollars. You know, if you're not following the rules, then we're not going to go here. So that would be you fascinating. Could, you could see something like that happening in a more, um, in a state that's more oriented towards consumer protection. Um, I agree with what Dave said earlier, but I will say that Nevada's regulators, because they're charged with protecting the image of the, of the state and the gaming industry and sort of, um, protecting the vitality of the uh, gaming industry in the state. That's the kind of thing that they would resist. It would almost take some kind of, you know, the legislature is not going to do it. It would almost take a voter initiative. Um, But I agree. I think what Chuck says would be, would be fantastic. It's just unlikely here in Nevada. Um, They do not want um, it. Whenever there's investigations going on and that's anything they're looking at, they can't talk about exactly what's going on until it either results in a penalty, you know, some kind of game, a complaint, or until the matter is dropped and they can say that they just didn't think it was that significant. But it's by it's by statute confidential, and they're not allowed to release things that are under investigation, which is totally bogus from a uh, consumer or journalistic point of view. Yeah, I mean, I I wonder. For some of those more minor infractions, like the kinds of things that Chuck was describing, do those ever become public if they're discovered? I mean, I don't, you know, I I I can't remember reading about anything like that. No, not to my knowledge, but I do know that they do those checks, and um, I have um, ha- you know been told off the record um, of situations where there have been. Not, I mean, if a card is missing, it's sort of hard to do the way they, the way they're checked before they're put into play. But um, they have found instances where, you know, not one card. You know, if you pull a a, a ten or an ace out of um, blackjack, a single blackjack deck, that makes a difference in favor of the cut, in favor of the house. If you pull, you know, fifteen of them that's probably going to get noticed. But if you pull three or four out of a six deck shoe, it will have a, 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 per, a perceptible um, impact over time. And so, you know, that to me shouldn't just be like a minor infraction. That's sort of a, it's, it's a, it means that the casino is trying to cheat their customers. To me, that's the worst kind of infraction for a casino um, among the worst at least um that's why when the venetian and um when they rigged those contests for people who gambled the most and they got entries into those contests and their marketing executives hid hid um predetermined names up their sleeve um i thought that was you know that kind of cheating um you know, not involving the game itself, but involving a contest related to the game is the worst kind of thing. Um, do they happen? Absolutely. Have they ever released, you know, only only in the, the marketing instance that 
um, I was just talking about. But I have never, at least during my time in Nevada since 1999, heard of a case where they found one of those game-related, you know, cheating incidents. It's interesting. I mean, I, I, I would love to see a transparent system like what Chuck was suggesting. But uh, I agree, it's probably not all that likely to happen in the near future. Um, well, there's, there is something that's kind of fun. You can read some of the complaints that make it through on the Gaming Control Board website. And I was reading the Hard Rock complaint, and it's pretty kind of a little bit droll reading. You know, for example, there's a section where the Hard Rock is proving that they really have a, they have a zero tolerance for drugs on their property. And there's this one sentence. Um, During the period of investigation, respondent took the unprecedented step of random drug testing all its security personnel, all its nightlife personnel, and all of its vice presidents. The results showed that 97.5% of those employees are drug-free. Then the next one is even better. Evidence of respondents' zero tolerance of drug possession or sale on its premises is the recent detention by respondent security and subsequent arrest by the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department of a popular entertainer for possession of illegal drugs. Hmm. Which was, I mean, just imagine how many other popular entertainers used illegal drugs with the, with, you know, either being observed doing it or knowing that they were doing it before that. I mean, Bruno Mars is the entertainer in question. And, you know, he must have been like, man, why me? You know, my time, his timing was pretty poor. Poor Bruno Mars. Yeah, seriously. I was in an elevator with the Osbournes at the uh, Hard Rock once and, uh, Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because it does kind of raise the issue of to what, you know, are the security people supposed to be like the DEA and investigating their patrons for drug use? You know, I would say probably not. Uh, when I when I was working security in Atlantic City, there was an incident once where another security officer came to me and was like, oh, there's there's a guy in the stall here doing cocaine. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? You know, like – you're going to call the AC police, you know, drug task force. Like they're, they're out busy doing stuff. They're not, you know, what are you going to do? Arrest the guy. Right. So yeah. it's kind of, it's not really, even though it's regrettable if that stuff is going on, you're really limited as to what you can do. And, you know, obviously if there's a pattern of stuff like employees selling it, then yeah, well, you right. should bring Metro in. But it's kind of, you know, I don't think this means that all security people are now going to be trying to catch guests doing drugs. Nor should they. I they mean, should. that's that's one of those things that um, you know they should. It's it's sort of like I mean, I think that that's been a long-standing tradition. It, I mean, you can walk down any resort hallway, and <laughs> at some point, you know, you're going to smell, you know, the smell of a pot coming out of a room. I mean, it's not it's not uncommon. I mean, since I first came here, I may have contributed to that when I first came here. But, I mean, may, but, may have. <laughs> I don't remember. Short-term memory. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I mean, now it's 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 certainly not uncommon, and I think that that's not the role. That should not be the role of security. Exactly. Well, I, you know, I think basically, if there if somebody's health looks like it's in imminent danger, right? You know, if somebody's completely strung out and going to jump off the roof obviously you, you stop them and get them, them some sure. you know medical help but yeah Absolutely. i don't know if they're going to do uh miami vice type stuff and start Absolutely. wearing those uh pastels 
the Hard Rock could maybe turn this into a marketing opportunity. You know, instead of a zero tolerance policy, we have a two point five percent tolerance policy, and uh, you know, <laughs> you might get lucky. And maybe they could retheme one of the venues around the wire or something. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. I like it. I like where this is going. They should hire us as high-priced casino <laughs> consultants. Um, uh, so the other Hard Rock story is, I think, very strange. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not as strange as I think it is. But basically, it sounds like one of their creditors has decided that they were going to try and foreclose on the property. Um, though, if if you believe what the Hard Rock is saying, this creditor doesn't really have – the standing or hasn't followed the proper procedure to uh, to do this, and they basically said, like, hey, we're going to foreclose on Tuesday. Um, how's that sound? Uh, is, is, that's a vastly simplified version of the story. Uh, but what, what's the deal with this? I mean, this just seems so strange and kind of out of nowhere. Is this is this, uh, is this a sort of a, a crackpot maneuver by one of their lenders that's in the news because it's kind of bizarre, or is it uh, is this a legitimate claim? Well, in Las Vegas, the last few years, it truly would be bizarre for a casino to pay its debts. Um, I think that um, in this case, you have, I believe it's a second mortgage holder, but a pr- very substantial second mortgage holder that um, says that the har- Hard Rock has failed to live up to some stipulation in their um, debt agreement that puts them um, in technical default of that and allows them to call in the loan because the loan hasn't been paid on for a um, significant amount of time, they are entitled to foreclose. Um, The Hard Rock disagrees, says that they are not in default, and says that, uh, I mean, it's obviously going to be a judge deciding between now or Tuesday, now and Tuesday, um, and, it, and it just, you know, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. A lot of it probably depends on if they can get the venue changed. Um, my my bet is that it's something that could have the potential to push Hard Rock into bankruptcy, which, which seems like that creditor would be the, uh, you know, put hurting their own interest because typically second um, mortgage holders have less standing than the other um, than the, the first mortgage holder, but maybe ahead of other creditors. So it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think right now it's relatively unclear. Yeah, I mean, unclear is definitely the way I would describe it. I mean, every day in the newspaper, there's a different story um, from these two two sides battling back and forth though. I mean, it, it, I I don't think it would surprise anyone to see the hard rock go into bankruptcy. I mean, they, they seem to have been struggling for quite some time and obviously have quite a bit of new debt from their, uh, you know, from their expansion, from, you know, from the, the purchase itself. Um, I mean, their expansion was, you know, it's not like any of the other, smaller casinos, casinos that have done expansions rather than, um, you know, building a whole new, a company building a whole new resort like City Center or Cosmopolitan. Um, the Hard Rocks expansion, you look at other properties, you know, the Palms um, added Tower of Rooms and then built um, a condo tower. But but the, the Hard Rocks expansion 
was bigger than the original property. The, the one that's closest to that kind of expansion, Caesars has had a bunch of new towers, but, you know, because the property just grows in its crazy, crazy quilt pattern, each expansion is sort of a, a smaller percentage of the whole property. The, the expansion, it, to me, it, it most closely resembles was the Rios. Um, and Dave, um, you probably remember this. I mean, the Rio had a relatively small hotel tower, and then they built their giant tower. But that was when the property and the city were both doing remarkably well. And um, Hard Rock timed this expansion about as badly as you could. I mean, it opened into the worst market. Um, all of the competing deluxe properties on the Strip were price, had no pricing power, which means that means the Hard Rock had even less. So they had some great, you know, they added some great new rooms and great and great stuff, um, and did some cool things with the property. But at the same time, they, you know, opened into a you know a really bad recession, and you know they they, they in no way. Um, could afford all that all that debt so you know bankruptcy i think is definitely clearly on the table yeah i mean i i agree it's funny as you were talking about the the changes they just made i was reminded of i think a post you did a while ago chuck someone had sent you a video uh or was it photos i can't remember of yeah, it's both oh yeah yeah it was Top pretty pretty sleep. badass looking i mean really oh, pretty nice. badass. Yeah. yeah yeah i was pretty impressed by it so as you know i've never really been that big of a fan of the hard rock as a place for myself to stay but i thought that it was uh that those that stuff was was pretty neat so you know when you look at that property and the hard rock which is you know it's clearly in a um in a certain segment of the market most clearly competing with with the with uh, the palms some people might say planet hollywood i wouldn't go i wouldn't but you know planet hollywood probably likes that um maybe a little bit cosmopolitan but but in general those two properties are similar and maloof um really led the way with that fantasy tower and his incredible you know selection of of over the top suites um really you know a property that's dominated that tower is dominated by its suites and it really allows him to bring in some you know pretty cool pretty uh you know celebrity driven um you know crowds to that place and that had been the that you know he was really going right after the hard rock and their clientele um and i think stole a lot of the juice from the hard rock this was an attempt by the hard rock to go back and get it but what's what's happened is the nightclubs at some of the big major strip properties and their already strong arsenal of suites and other products you know has just left the hard rock without the ability to get the kind of people that they used to get in there to make their scene the best yeah. um you know as, as you guys know there's those big strip properties really have uh you know it's almost it's very tough to compete with what they offer Right. Four or five years ago, Hard Rock used to be able to command four or five, sometimes 600 bucks a night on the weekend for those rinky-dinky little rooms that they had because it was the place to party. It was, it was a meat market. The whole joint was a meat market. You know, throw in the rock and roll stuff also, you know, and you got 
everybody was partying like a rock star. And that was really the only place. And since that time, you know, everybody, every resort has grabbed a piece of that pie, you know, and they made, of course, they made the pie a hell of a lot bigger, but that whole concept of this place is a meat market. This place is a place to dance and party and get smashed with a little bit of gambling on the side. That philosophy has pervaded everything beyond the palms and cosmopolitan everywhere now is using that business model mm -hmm. and hard rock is the originator. You know, they deserve their credit, but they've also gotten lost in the dust. They have not evolved to the next thing, whatever that is, if there even is one. So I don't, I don't see good things happening there. Something's going to happen, but it's not going to continue the way it was. Well, it's funny, you know, we haven't talked about the hard rock very much on this show. So it goes to show that if you want to be discussed on the Vegas gang, just go you know, be foreclosed on and we'll talk about you for 20 minutes. Um, uh, you know, well, it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out um, with the with the with this action against them. I mean, I don't know if I had to guess, I uh, I bet that that uh, these these lenders may not <laughs> get their best case scenario out of this action. But, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they end up in uh, in bankruptcy. Um, and this might be just that extra little push that they needed to, to make that happen. Um, so we're going to move on. Um, there was a story, well, I think it was last week in, in the review journal and other financial publications about, um, Tracinda corporation, which is Kirk Corrin's holding company that owns, uh, a very large block of MGM resorts, international stock about the possibility that they might sell it. Whoa. Hello. Yeah, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Was that just me that got booted or did everybody? That was weird. I was what happened? There. I didn't hear anything. Yeah, I know. That's what happened. It just all stopped. Huh. Okay. Really? Weird. Well, everybody's still here? Or everybody back? Oh, yeah. We are. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Whatever. That's what edits are for, I guess. All right. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just start over. Um <clears throat> So I think it was last week there was a story in the Review Journal and I think maybe it was an AP Wire story about um, about Tracinda Corporation, which is Kirk Corian's holding company that owns a, a huge voting block of MGM Resorts International stock. Um, about the, the basically it said people ask us about buying our stock and we might sell it. Um, and the story was kind of short on any further detail. Howard Stutz, I think, got comment from MGM who basically said, we don't know anything about these filings until you get them either, so don't ask us. Um, but I just thought this was strange for multiple levels. Like, A, I'm not really clear on why the filing was even made in the first place. Uh, I don't think it was due to some kind of mandatory disclosure, so I would have to assume that it had it was in some way intended to manipulate or just to provide this, I mean, why was this information provided into the market in the first place? Um, and then B, you know, what does this mean? Is this, uh, is, are we going to see Kirkorian bail out of MGM? And, and if he did, how would that impact the company, uh, with a more varied shareholder base? Would, would the company have more, more rope to maneuver, less rope to maneuver? I mean, the last couple of years have been really tough for the company and I have personally wondered if its leadership uh, could have survived if they didn't have the support of one of a singular major shareholder. 
if if this configuration changes, any thoughts on how that might shake shake it up? So I'm just going to kind of throw that all in there for open discussion. Hunter, yeah, I have absolutely no evidence, but I have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think that this is a uh, this is a game of chicken. Uh, I get the impression uh, that. Tracinda might be looking at NGM's, it seems like, quarterly further dilution of shares. It seems like every three months they're selling another $500 million to a billion to pay for this, that, and the other thing. And just through, uh, through those increases of the amount of the company that they're selling, uh, you know, Tracinda's percentage, the voting, uh, I think he was the, the, the major shareholder, the majority shareholder, but no, no longer anymore. You know, little by little, they're sort of edging him out by selling other things. So he could be saying, hey, you know, I might just unload this to somebody else just to sort of scare him and uh, make him worry a little bit. So you, you think it was a, maybe a message from Krikorian to the company? Yeah. Interesting. My bet, my bet would be that um, you know he is a uh, a fairly old um, person um, that it could involve some kind of uh, estate planning. Um, I do, you know I don't know why he would want to liquidate, but certainly you know when I think back just three and a half years ago, he was considering uh, you know taking the company private and uh, trying to solicit buyback offers from other shareholders, um, none of whom wanted to sell much to their later chagrin. <laughs> and and I think that in this, so while in this case, I don't really know the Tresinda's or Corporean's rationale, what I would like to speculate on is what Hunter asked. What would a sale by Corporean mean to MGM Mirage? I, th- I think it would make it um, more like a regular, um, typical American corporation without um, a substantial, you know, single family, founding family um, ownership structure. I think that the, uh, it, you know, it would probably, you know, it would get like a longtime gaming guy out of the, out of the big ownership there. Um, that's, you know, probably the kind of thing that, you know, Jim Murren, um, I can't imagine he would, you know, I mean, I think Jim Murren has been, Corian's boy for a while, um, so that might that may cause him some pause if he lost the paternal you know um, voting block of Kirkorian uh, you know in terms of you know how he could please the rest of the shareholders through the board of directors. But on the other hand, you know Murin is more of a regular corporate guy than a traditional Vegas gaming kind of guy. So, um, you know, those are the things I would say. I'm not, I don't know that there's a clear answer, but, uh, you know, I, 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 it's hard to imagine it would create some big difference at all. And, and for, as far as what Chuck said about whether the company, you know, might know something and, you know, I mean, I, I doubt that. I mean, it would be illegal. I'm not saying that that never happens, but um, theoretically, they're not supposed to be able to trade on advanced knowledge. So, uh, you know, I hope that's not the case. I think, I don't know. I just think it's really interesting. I mean, it would be a major change in, you know, the ownership structure of, uh, the strips, you know, biggest single, single operator. Um, 
I, I think it could have some pretty significant consequences, which is also why I think it's interesting the way that it was reported on because there was that story and that was it. There was no follow-up. There was no opinion-related kind of opinion pieces that I saw at least. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe I think it's a bigger deal than it is. But it, to me, I just think it could be significant to see him exit that company. I think it's a huge deal because he's somebody who's been involved with Nevada gaming since 1967. Actually, even further back to 1966 as a landlord of Caesars Palace when it first opened. So that's definitely big. Whenever you lose somebody who's had that kind of experience in the market, that that's pretty huge. I mean, now, uh, now even though Wynn always says one of his mantras, "Big isn't best, best is best." Kerkorian has built four times the biggest resort or the resort complex, you know, in the, in Las Vegas. I mean, starting with the international and then the original MGM brand and the second MGM brand and then city center. I mean, that is an unparalleled record of building big. Um, You know, some other people have some other claims. You could look at, you know, the Mirage and win Las Vegas win. um, And maybe that would be superior, but, it's pretty important building big, and Kerkorian did it an amazing four times. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just – it seems like it should have been bigger news than it, than it was, and maybe there's no there there, and uh, and this will all just go away. But um, it, it kind of felt like it f- flew in under the radar and uh, and has since kind of vanished, so I don't there, know. There, there really isn't a person in the media um, – in the um, mainstream media scene in Las Vegas who um, does opinion on, on gaming. Um, you know, Howard Lutz is pretty much a straight reporter. He writes a column and gets sources, but unless he has, you know, a source telling him, Hey, this is what Kerkorian's doing. He's not going to be writing an opinion piece. Um, the sun doesn't have somebody who does that either. Um, certainly the broadcast news operations here, you know, they'll report it if Bloomberg or the sun or the RJ or somebody says something like they did in this case, but it was a news story based on an SEC filing. Um, and you're right. It is, you know, it, the, there needs to be somebody who gets out there and, you know, makes, you know, and, and at least throws the questions out there, whether or not they can, they can, you know, learn enough from people in the business or from their own expertise to render an opinion is another thing. But they, the, it, it's something that was underplayed by the mainstream media in Las Vegas and uh, needs to get more attention. I, I totally agree with you there. All right. Well, we'll definitely keep a close eye on it and uh, and definitely be talking about it quite a bit more, especially if uh, he does end up unloading and exiting because I do think it's a pretty interesting topic. Um, but for now, we're going to move on and talk about um, another very wealthy old guy, um, Sheldon Adelson uh, and his company, Lux Vegas Sands, um, reported their results. And um, I, I skimmed a couple of articles talking about uh, the results, and it basically sounds like um, you know Singapore was a big winner for them. And that that complex has turned out to, uh, as as they expected, generate quite a bit of uh, of cash flow, um, and it you know they were able to flip a uh, a loss last year into uh, a, a gain this year, a pretty significant change. So, um, 
ha- have the fortunes of Las Vegas Sands uh, have have they changed? I mean, we saw they were in some pretty dire straits as well not too long ago, um, having to scale back their pretty massive expansion plans. But now, are they are they back to firing on uh, on all cylinders? Are are they out of the woods? What do you guys think? I think they are in Asia. You know, I don't know what their Las Vegas prospects are. Definitely not as good as they are in Asia. But without Singapore and without Macau, they'd be in a lot of trouble. Right. I mean, there's no doubt that the numbers are very lopsided. But there's another major company in Las Vegas, uh, Wynn Resorts, that has had quite their their fair share of very lopsided numbers, too, uh, with Asia propping up their results. Um, Singapore is interesting. I mean – you know, obviously that property uh, is one of two there, has been – was a huge investment for them. Um, you know, when when decided not to bid for that, you know, ultimately went to Las Vegas Sands and it's turned out – it seems like it's going to be a big hit for them. Um, despite, you know, you hear all kinds of little problems that people have had staying there, uh, it, it seems like Las Vegas Sands has done what they uh, have done in the past in terms of the way that they like to open their properties. Um, one well, a, one room at a time. <laughs> a, 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 du- a duopoly in a market so close to China and some of these other uh, you know wealthy Asian economies is a pretty uh, sweet position to be in. They uh, built the most iconic property. I mean, certainly uh, um, you know Sentosa, their competitor in the market is you know, a much more of what, you know, it's not a beautiful, iconic property, but, um, you know, that place had the first mover advantage. They opened first there as the Sentosa Island uh, property owned by Genting. And that property, because of the weird way that um, Singapore does their um, gambling admittance for its own residents, people can pay a per day fee of like, you know, somewhere around a hundred bucks or a yearly fee. I think it was like a thousand, but it might've been more than that, but it's, you know, for the hardcore gamblers that live in a place that are going to be the bread and butter for those casinos, people are going to buy a, a one year, a one year pass and probably play only there for a year. Some people might buy passes to both. So Genting really got off to an advantage. I'm not sure if, because people have to keep renewing at the end of the year, they'll they'll maintain it. Maybe they will. But certainly, Marina Bay is closer to more people and a much more impressive facility, um, and you know should certainly appeal more to tourists. One would think, um, unless they're family type people. Um, so, I I think that when you look at the company, they're not quite firing firing on all cylinders because of some. Um, you know, lingering problems in Macau. Um, they've had some executive shuffles, but the money train keeps pouring it in. And uh, and in the in Las Vegas, you know, everybody's having you know has continued to have trouble in Las Vegas. I think that they're just going right along with the market, better off than most of the people who have crappier properties. So you know, if Las Vegas rebounds. They will definitely be firing on all cylinders, and uh, just like it was an amazing decline they had between mid-2007 and late 2008, the rebound since late 2008 has been phenomenal. And I think that you you can't uh, overstate, you know, to go from a buck twenty to near fifty bucks. You know, anybody who bought it, bought it, bought it at the bottom, um, that, that's a fairly healthy return. So. Um, I, you know, I think you got to tip your hat to what they've done. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it's hard to argue with that. And, and just for those that are curious, um, for their Las, their two Las Vegas properties, which they report together, um, they said that they grew sixteen point five percent from the year ago quarter, which is, you know, no, that's a, that's a healthy number, cl- closing in on on twenty percent. Uh, definitely, I think shows that uh, things are improving a bit. So it'll be interesting to see. We're going to have results from the other companies um, in the next couple of weeks. It'll be very interesting to see if they track along a similar kind of trajectory. Um, but yeah, I know it's, it's, uh, it seems like that Singapore, uh, thing was, was a, was a good idea. Um, all right, let's see. I want to talk a little bit about a story that we talked about last time that, um, has since, uh, it exploded onto the web a little bit. And this is this is the story that I'm referring to. There's we did we talked a little bit about social media influence. Um, we didn't really get to the meat of of the story on on this show, but um, you know since we discussed it here and since uh, it was it was featured uh, well really since it was featured as an element in in the trippies, the the two gentlemen that um, that we were talking about. So there's. There's these two guys. Uh, I'm just gonna do. A, I'm just gonna do a quick little recap. What is this like stand up or something? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm kind of rambling here. Let me just kind of give you a quick synopsis, and then we'll get into it. So there's these two guys, and they talk on Twitter and get stuff and eat a lot. And um, so for a long time, people. Whoa, that sounded bad. This is like the blooper blooper reel show. I don't know. I'm not really Sorry, I dr- I dropped my dice puck. My crafts puck. Um so anyway, uh you know Ch- Chuck, you you in the trippies this year, I think for your pet peeve, you got you wrote about sort of the social media noise referring to kind of the worthlessness um that's being kind of endlessly broadcasted. We talked about this on the show last week. Since then, or not last week, whenever we did it last time. So since then, Steve Fries, who had writ- how, who had originally um, written about these guys, uh, you know, he'd written a very nice article about them, saying how they were, you know, game changers and creating this whole new world of social media awesomeness. He basically did a, a mea culpa, saying like, "I was all wrong. These guys are scam." Um, blah 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 blah. Chuck, then you also posted uh, a story that was uh, something I know you've been working on for a while, which I think you alluded to last time, which was, you know, basically uh, getting into some of the back and forth that these guys have done over the years. Anyway, the reason that I want to talk about this is because the reaction to both of those posts, which I think landed within maybe a day or two of each other, um, was, I thought, amazing. Because these are these are two guys that, um, you know... They they are all about all around town, so they're interfacing with PR people and social media employees of the resorts all the time. Um, and as these stories were posted, I you you should have seen my Twitter stream. I mean, it was like post after post, saying like retweeting the links and saying like hell yeah, like this is the best thing ever. I mean, I honestly I started to feel a little bit sorry for these guys because they they were really getting like the serious pile on treatment. Like it was, it was pretty gnarly, um, as far as like how, as far as how many people were just saying, you know, basically saying, 
agreeing with the premise being furthered in these posts, basically saying that these guys are scamming and that it, you know, they were happy to see it being exposed. I just thought to me, that was a very interesting component of the story because a lot of the people that were responding are actually the people that work in these casinos that, um, sounded like honestly they were kind of sick of these guys shit and they now had someone that they could i guess they didn't feel empowered enough to say anything and now they had something they could point to to say um you know yeah this is bs and maybe we don't have to take it anymore you know cue some kind of rock song um chuck i don't know what you probably got a reaction from people i mean <laughs> can you can you share any of that what was yeah, you know, um, from the moment that uh, I think – I don't remember exactly the exact timeline, but I think I had put out a tweet a month ago or so just asking, you know, just saying, hey, I'm working on this piece. And can you uh, – does anybody out there have any um, information that they want to share? The second I did that, I, my – inbox became flooded with people who wanted to talk about these guys, you know, and that was followed by the trippies thing. They were, they were our, uh, the editor's pick for pet peeve and also the uh, background image of the, of the whole website is like three days of nonsensical hashtag filled retweets by one of these knuckleheads. And then I, then we talked about it on this, this show. And in that time, like I, I became inundated with people wanting to tell me about all the things, you know, some people shared like actual really hard evidence, most of which you've seen, or well, some of which you've seen in the story. Um, so there was, this was like a big pus filled boil in the PR department of all these, not all of them, but a large percentage of the casinos that they feel that these guys have been kind of manipulating them to a degree. And due to the way that uh, the casino marketing folks, um, the way that they are using metrics to uh... – Hello? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm, I'm here. Oh man, it's literally that was is, really good. It's literally is like the blooper reel. I don't, that was really good. I assume Chuck is gone. Yeah, he's now showing. Man. We're gonna get him back on. <laughs> okay. Well, I I flip over to uh, Vegas tripping to find the link because I wanted to talk about uh, whichever one Tweedledum or Tweedledee's response, which I thought was really weak. Yeah. Well, his. Yeah, but, lie, lies, damn lies, and statistics. I mean, that was yeah. like, it was well, like meaningless. Uh -oh, I'm shocked. I don't know. We're, this is literally like the worst show we've ever done. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Um, but it's so, also, when did this go off? Because I've been still talking. You, you, probably like, <laughs> probably like no, only like 10 seconds ago. Yeah. All right. Where was, where did I, where did it get left off? Do you remember what the last thing I said was? Um, you were saying, you, I think you were talking a little bit about the statistics and like. Okay. All right. Uh, so these guys have figured out a way with their their uh, Twitter follower numbers, however they've managed to get them. Uh, some people say that they're ill-begotten numbers. Some people say they've earned them. You know, there's not definitive evidence to say either way. But, you know, that, that the fact that there is a gray area is enough to, to make everything 
question. Uh, so they've used, have held this uh, concept that, you know, we can help your PR department build up its um, Twitter followers, et cetera, uh, the numbers, the metrics with which they measure. And we've seen this, you know, Hunter, Hunter will agree with me, uh, you know, that they have specific internal goals of increasing their Twitter followers by XYZ number per quarter over quarter. Um, so they, these guys have figured out how to kind of use this whole thing against the casinos to get access to red carpet events, parties, you name it, free stuff. And they also are using it in like the tech industry and travel as well. And I have not yet gone into those areas to try and expose this scam. But uh, the response that I got just from putting out the call to putting out a second call to the article itself has been just tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Um, and, and like I think we had mentioned, maybe this is before the call, but there was no – Nobody has stepped up to the plate to defend these guys. You know, right. they have posted one teeny weeny little posterist post, which uses all these nonsensical metrics that don't really make any sense to uh, to uh, explain their their worth. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is, the jig is up, and we've been. You know, we saw that this this whole thing was a jig two or three years ago. You know, in its infancy, it was obvious. The second I met these guys, I was suspect. They were both sitting there at dinner with these Chris Angel necklaces, these medallions, because the show had just opened. And everybody in the world was like, this is like the pile on Chris Angel week. And these guys were supporters of Chris Angel. Like, Dude, do you remember you know? when I asked them about that? And I was like, oh, yeah. do you like Chris Angel? And he's like, no. I was like, oh. They were free. They okay, came yeah, it's like they were free. It's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the thing is, is here, listen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really care so much that they're they figured out this way to uh, get free stuff from the casinos, you know, as long as you're kind of forthright about it as per federal trade commission guidelines, say, Hey, this was a comp. This was free, you know, just be straight up with people. But the thing is that they say, and they've said this now that they don't believe in the negativity in Las Vegas. They don't want to support it. So they don't ever say anything bad. Right. So no matter what happens, you're always going to get a positive uh, review from them. They're always going to say, this was great. This was fantastic. This was great. Whether it was or wasn't, they're always going to say, this was great. This is awesome. And I got it for free. You know, And they're doing a disservice to these people who follow them. And as we all know now, there aren't really people who follow them. They're just kind of like empty Twitter accounts and other uh, self-serving uh, number number fetishists people who are looking to be famous on twitter so you know the, the whole thing is amazing and it's it's kind of doubly funny and i think i had tweeted this too is like the enemy of my enemy is my friend is the second we sort of started going after this a lot of the pr folks who've always held us in a little bit of contention like oh those those lunatic vegas tripping guys who were always saying bad shit about us and leaking documents and all this shit <laughs> All of a sudden, they're like, hey, man, these guys are great. You know, like, <laughs> these suddenly get their buddies and their pals. You know? And it's fun. It's great. Good. You know, that's fine. You know, but it, uh, it certainly was amusing to see from, from the other side. But I think we were pretty fair in the article of, of, of saying, you know, there was a lot of reasons why this happened. You know, the casinos 
went along with it. They never questioned it fully. Maybe they did on the side, but they, they were complicit. And they also got benefits out of this, is that they had a third-party person saying that all their stuff was great. All they had to do was throw a burger down their throat, you know? <laughs> and these guys, they got free stuff, free access, and they got to use, like, you know, hey, I'm here at the Justin Bieber concert, you know, hashtag and get Bieber people following them and retweeting them and making them all famous. It's almost like a bunch of people like standing on a, standing on a, on a, uh, on a dinghy wiggling their ass for the sake of wiggling their ass, you know, and eventually they're going to fall into the lake and they did. So, you know, and, and Steve freezes thing, he kind of like validated them and we all know that he's a great reporter. He always goes for the juggler. And this time, for whatever reason, and my gut feeling was like, hmm, maybe he thought that this might help him a little bit. He didn't really go for the juggler, and he had certainly had the evidence from talking to Hunter and myself previously. Uh, he knew what these guys were up to, and he kind of elected not to. And so did Vegas 7. They gave him them like the best tweeter award based on what? You know, they gave him an award just out of the out of the blue. Like their magazine showed up, and a month later they gave out awards, <laughs> and they gave it to those guys. It's like, well, why? Because it would help them get the word out that hey, we've got a Vegas Seven Seven magazine. Possibly, right. you know, I have no proof of any of this stuff, but this is my gut feeling. So, I think it's also because they spent all their money in getting the finest analyst on gaming and tourism events to write for them. <laughs> And there's nothing left for doing due diligence on Twitter. <laughs> That's true. Can Just you, a theory. Can you imagine how many of like these guys' tweets showed up in PowerPoint presentations in like MGM meetings where they were like, look at how awesome our restaurants are doing. These guys love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a line item in the, uh, in the uh, leaked ARIA documents that said host influential bloggers – in their restaurants was yeah. part of their uh, part of their marketing scam, and it was certainly that because yeah, I'd like to think that maybe Vegas tripping's a little influential. We're not you know everything, but we we do a pretty good job. And they never invited us for dinner, you know, not once. It was John Zero. John Curtis plus one, John, right? John Curtis plus one, <laughs> right, right. Mr. Rourke plus one. I I just think the story's interesting because it I wasn't expecting it to implode the way that it did so quickly and you know time will tell if this really has impacted them i mean if if they are still doing the same things that they were doing in two months from now and the casinos are still giving them this access and all of that kind of thing you know that that will be really interesting i mean if this gives the casinos an opportunity to extricate themselves from these relationships if they wanted to um this gives them some cover to reevaluate these kinds of positions if they choose not to and decide to continue that. I think that will be also interesting. Well, I've actually been working on a follow-up for this piece, which kind of is going to, uh, well, I'm actually, I'm not going to say anymore. I'm working on yeah, a right. follow-up. Well, yeah, write, it, write, it, write it before next we'll, week's last week. We'll, we'll talk about it when it's published. Yes, thanks Jeff for that. Yeah. From uh, the comment previously, <laughs> don't shut your mouth. <laughs> That's probably good advice. No, as much as I would like for you to talk about it, we'll talk about it once it's published. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how much more there is to say on this topic. Um, I, I I just thought it was interesting that how we went from in the space of it's February third. You know, 
well, I don't know what when, when was the Trippies webcast like the eighth or something. Yes, eighth. So between then and like a couple of days ago, I mean, this whole all of this unfolded. I think that's pretty amazing, um, and I, I just thought that was interesting and, and worth discussing. So uh, with that, we will close it up. We're going to do our sure bets segment. This has probably been like in on a technical front, like the worst episode we've ever done. Um, <laughs> it's just been a complete train wreck. I don't know exactly what's going on, but it we're some you know some days you're just cursed, I guess. But uh, it's okay, you know, whatever. We will we'll give you guys everyone that's listening. You get a full refund on your way out the door. <laughs> uh, so let's do our sure bet segment. This is where we get to endorse something that we think the audience might be interested in, something they can check out in their own lives. Um, so we're going to go around and do that. Um, Jeff, I'll start with you. Do you have a sure bet for our audience? I do, and I'm going to uh, indulge a uh, personal uh, preference I have. Um, I think I mentioned back at the start of college football season on an earlier podcast um, how much I was looking forward to the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes uh, football season. And since Ohio State is number one and um, undefeated in college basketball playing right now, as a matter of fact, not that I'm watching, um, I am, but, uh, the, uh, I will, I would recommend, uh, looking at one of the great teams in college basketball. It's, they're, they're very unlikely to end the season undefeated, but I think they're going to, um, end up being a very good team this year. And if you get a chance to watch them play, um, it's a bunch of guys who pass the ball to each other. They're not ball hogs. Um, they make that extra pass that helps so much in uh, college basketball. Just like in football, um, the players aren't as good as in the pros, but I love college sports. Um, it's each game so meaningful. Um, there's rivalries um, that, that seem to matter. I mean, I love, I love you know, um, NFL football, not as big of a fan of um, NBA basketball, but the Buckeyes this year are a team that um, even non-Ohio State fans, you should check out and uh, and watch the way they uh, play with teamwork, um, win or eventually lose. I think uh, it's sort of an old school kind of uh, concept for people to be so selfless that I like to watch that. Nice. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Dr. Dave, how about you? I'm going to do something that probably seems pretty incestuous, but I'm going to say that my sure bet is Vegas tripping. Oh. And I'm going to share a little bit of a little bit of some inside track, inside casino stuff. You know, recently I was at a casino talking with one of their executives, and there had been a pretty positive review of that casino in Vegas tripping. And I said, you know, yeah. And this exec had seen the review and was like, oh, yeah, that's great. And I'm like, yeah, you know, and that means a lot coming from Chuck because he's pretty much a straight shooter and he doesn't sugarcoat stuff. And the response was, yeah. Uh, my PR guy said he was a re- could be a real pain in the ass. So anytime <laughs> you have somebody – but it was said with respect. I'm like, yeah, you know, so this, this is a good thing for us. And I think that's – you know, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, our PR guy said – he was the Hamburglar. And I have a pretty good he, guess which property this was. Yeah, he'd gl- <laughs> gladly pay us. You know, he'd gladly tweet about us Tuesday for a hamburger today or whatever. This, so. pro- this property doesn't have any white decor, does it? No. I, I, don't, 
Good. It's not the Tropicana. Huh? Uh, no, I was no, going to guess no, a, not the a, a tower-shaped property, perhaps. It could be. <laughs> yeah, but um, so yeah, I, do, I just thought that kind of validates a little bit of what we're saying that there is, you know, people in the industry are aware of what you guys are doing and what Chuck's doing, and they are responding to it. And you know, yeah, they're not always thrilled, but when it goes their way, you know, they uh, seem to be appreciative. Well, I would repeat something that I think I wrote in the comments on the Twitter post on Vegas tripping, which is – and I'll paraphrase myself, which is basically, you know, if if you're honest and fair, then that's pretty much all you need to do. Your audience will respect you, and even the PR people that might not like what you have to say all the time, they will acknowledge the fact that you're honest and fair, and then things will pretty much work out okay in the end. Yeah, I mean that's not true across the board, but it's amazingly true with the better operators. Um, that even the even not just the PR, even the owners or the chief executives, they respect honesty because um, they know if something sucks to their place usually. And so you're right, and I think that you know you know that that that's a real benefit, Chuck's. Um, honestly, if you're a consumer, you want somebody who's honest. You don't want somebody, you know, um, saying a place is great because they gave you, a, you know, a double whopper. <laughs> um, all right. A single whopper would do. That's really enough. <laughs> double whopper, that, that kind of makes me a little nauseous. Uh, Chuck Monster, do you have a sure bet for us today? I, I sure do. And this is uh, only partially related to uh, Vegas. Uh, last weekend, I had the pleasure of dining at the Bazaar inside the SLS Hotel, which is uh, uh, the SBE joint here in uh, La Cienega. And the restaurant, the Bazaar, is operated by uh, Jose Andres, who uh, does the Haleo and China Poblano and the E restaurant. China, China Poblano. China Poblano, yes. Uh, inside of the Cosmopolitan. Well, I went there with Mikey and John, and it was very possibly one of the most fun, uh, delicious social meals I've ever had in my entire life. Not just because of the company, because those guys, of course, I love them dearly, and we always have just a great time when we're together. The food and the atmosphere and everything was just absolutely phenomenal. If you live in L.A. or you're in L.A. and you need a place to dine, check out the bizarre Jose Andres. And I am just itching to go check out the Haleo and uh, Chino Poblano right about now. So, Well, I must say I was incredibly jealous when I was watching your guys' posts from the meal because it looked, uh, looked pretty amazing. Um, so I think that's a good one. I haven't been to Haleo, but I did eat at Chino Poblano um, – and they were still doing previews, but the food that I had there was pretty amazing. So I'm looking forward to going back there. Yeah. Uh, both of those places, the latter two, are at the Cosmopolitan. Um, I have my sure bet is probably not a sure bet. It's probably an even money bet. But um, you know, there's the, yesterday um, Rupert Murdoch introduced a publication for the iPad called the Daily, which uh, I checked out. And I honestly, I don't know, I don't know how it's going to go in the long term. And there's, there's a lot of stuff I don't like about it. But I, I, I read it again today, and there was some. I, I think it might, it might end up working out. But I think, in general, I think it's interesting because they're uh, trying to do a new kind of subscription model for 
to pay for some journal, some real journalism. I mean, they have a real staff of 85 people working on this thing every day. Uh, and the content is very professionally produced. So I'm very curious to see how this thing will uh, pan out in the long term. And so if, if you do have an iPad, it's free for two weeks. And after that, I think they're going to be charging like 99 cents a week. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not the economist. It's pretty light fare. It's like USA Today with a slightly with a gossip column, um, but you know it, it's not necessarily a bad thing to relax for a few minutes and read uh, some uh, sort of uh, you know a lighter lighter version of the New York Times. I mean, I, I think there's some value in that. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious in two weeks if I'll still be reading it. We'll see. But um, I think it's interesting that they're trying to go jump into a new venture like this with both feet and i'm very curious to see how it works out so since it won't cost you anything i'm going to recommend that you check it out if you have an ipad so you can get it on the app store um that's it for today you're welcome uh (laughs) (laughs) thanks to everybody for being here (laughs) i'm gonna go around the table so you can tell people where they can find you Uh, dr dave schwartz where can people find you as always, I'm at gaming.unlv.edu and diascast.com and on Twitter at UNLV Gaming. Excellent. Mr. Jeff Simpson, how about you? My uh, column's available on uh, Hunter's Two-Way Hard 3 blog. And also, I'm on, tweet, I'm on Twitter now, um, and I'm not quite up to 50,000 followers, so I have a lot of room to go and uh, start getting some of those free Whoppers. Simpson Las Vegas <laughs> is my... Uh, Twitter handle. Yeah, you know, I noticed you and Richard Abowitz and uh, Mike Chilson were having a debate over sovereign wealth funds of oppressed peoples <laughs> investing in Nevada gaming corporations, which was, you know, I watched that back and forth for a while. It was entertaining, I must say. It, it's tough to extricate yourself from those kind of things because when people pose questions or comments to you it's sort of like you know i feel obligated to answer but right. i'm not really looking to get into like big long debates on there you know but oh well <laughs> I, I thought it was entertaining so whatever um chuck monster where can people track you down people can track me down on the fbi's 10 most wanted <laughs> list i have now moved up to number six uh, i'm shooting for number one what's the reward I might be willing to negotiate something. I, I think it is a all-night train ride to New York City and back, and then a free room at the Holiday Inn. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'll let them find find you on their own. I don't know if I need I need that prize. Um, you, people can find me at ratevegas.com. Thanks for everybody for being here. Apologies for all of the snafus. We'll do better next time, but uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Thanks a lot.